it's the passion of my my life to help women just experience and enjoy their sexuality in a beautiful way. You're listening to Good is in the Details. I'm Gwendolyn Dolsky, and this is the podcast where we learn what we didn't know we didn't know in the spirit of Socrates. In this episode, I'm going solo. This is part of the mini-sode series, How Do You Maternity? And our guest is a returning guest, Cindy Sharkey. She's a registered nurse, a podcaster. You got to check out her pod permission for pleasure and she's also a sex educator she was on the show for season two episode 12 to talk about sex ed and now in terms of maternity we're talking about the physical health I had asked her some questions about exercise. We dive right into that. And also relationship and intimacy during pregnancy and after. So welcome back to the pod, Cindy Sharkey for How Do You Maternity Part 6. I honestly, like I'll get on my soapbox about this, but I feel like every person who carries and burrs the baby should have pelvic floor evaluation and treatment, period. Let's talk about that. I didn't know that that was a thing. Can you explain what that is? I mean, it's revolutionizing women's lives and men like post, well, that's a whole nother discussion, but people don't know to ask and push for a referral. I think, especially here in the United States, we are just waving our flags about it because of how helpful it can be. Our pelvic floor is all the many muscles that hammock and support our, for women, our uterus, our bladder, they're connected to your whole back. I mean, it connects with your whole body. And so this pelvic floor that is supporting a pregnancy, a whole pregnant, a whole other human, Mm -hmm. right? For nine months, and then is going to do the work, that whole hammock of muscles to release and birth a baby or have a C-section and then reconnect connect and re-evaluate if it's going to What's it doing? Am I holding? Am I am I releasing? Am I relaxing? There's a whole thing going on with your pelvic floor. And yet we don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. We act like it's all just the uterus's work, right? Or something like that. And then what happens is that whole pelvic floor is stretched or tightened. It's tightening itself to protect or it's stretched to accommodate the and form with the pregnancy and the delivery. What can happen is that tension or relaxation or overusage or just dysfunction in the pelvic floor. If it just goes on and on, let's talk about the main common things that are not normal. Wetting your pants, big one. And I'm just, I just say it out loud to women because they say, oh, I just thought that's the way it's going to be now that I had a baby. Absolutely not. hundred percent. No painful sex. Absolutely not. hundred percent. No. <laughs> okay. okay. That's just two pelvic floor therapy is specialists who are trained to evaluate those exact muscles. Most of them are orthopedic based and then go into pelvic floor and how to help you train those muscles to then be back to a solid working state. It is game changer. So I'm thinking that that is another thing that is left off of the anatomy charts when we talk about sex ed. Oh, a hundred percent. We talk that about doesn't, we, we talk there. about pelvic floor for pregnancy, right? Talking about Kegels, right? And people, all okay. people know is Kegels. Have you heard of Kegels? Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, well, Kegels is not the answer to everything because, like I said, some people the pelvic floor is too tense. Some people it's too relaxed. If your pelvic floor is too tensed, 
Kegels only make it worse. Let's say if you had a magic wand and you can make one change, this would be one of the changes. This would be the change. I would wow. have ev- every it's causing painful sex. You said as well, people, the rate of painful sex after pregnancy and birth is really high and wow. it is common, commonly high, but not normal. And people just so, live with it. You know, I think this is something we've talked about in philosophy of sex and love when we're talking about sex ed. And I think it was also what we talked about when you were on the show with Constantine is that this idea of pain, because we don't talk about the women's body that much that women just are not taught that sex is also something that they participate in. And it's something for them, for their body to enjoy that your body is designed to enjoy this activity that when we don't teach the biology of the woman, or that even culturally, that this is something that she can enjoy and pursue. Then when it's painful, the women are quiet, like being painful and tolerating that is I think a ramification of a lack of information about how sex works. A hundred percent. That's so sad. Well, okay, wait, I'm sorry. Let me get back to the pelvic floor. But let me tell you, yeah, let me tell you one more thing because you asked specifically about exercise. Oh yeah. So I I don't want to, I don't want to pass over that because you're right on. We started the discussion with that, that how can your gynecologist obstetrician know when you're ready to exercise? Are they pelvic floor muscle orthopedic based people? No, Hmm. that's a big key where people, they always think about wetting their pants or maybe painful sex, but the exercise piece and how the pelvic floor therapy can help you know when you're ready for, like when you're ready to go back to CrossFit, for example. I just want to bring it up because sometimes people, especially people who are, even if they're not serious athletes, but they do like cross training or, you know, heavy weights or really running, then the pelvic floor therapist can very well evaluate when your muscles and your pelvic floor are ready to begin that kind of exercise again. So when somebody is talking with their OB, what kind of language should they use to ask about this? There's, they're asking for a specific physician or a specific specialist. How does somebody even ask about it? So glad you asked that question. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. I would say you say, I would like to see a pelvic floor physical therapist. I'd like a referral to see a pelvic floor physical therapist now that I birthed the baby and I feel like I, you know, my pelvic floor needs some attention. If they say, oh, your, your pelvic floor is fine. We, I just did an exam. Everything feels fine. I want the referral before I leave today. And if you're not able to give me one, I need to know who I can talk to to get one. I know I get my, my kids felt my voice. My oh, mom's got her voice going, her RN voice going, <laughs> listen, we have to advocate for ourselves. Yeah, we really do. And this should be a no brainer. This should, there should be no pushback about that. I think something else I want to address is that we're talking about the woman's body, but as a result of the changing in the body, there's this emotional response Mm -hmm. that the woman as a person is changing. It's not just the body, but she is changing. She's understanding herself in a different way, her relationship to the world in a different way, a future in a different way. Mm. And that means that in a relationship, be it married or not, but whoever is the partner is going to also need to adjust that this pregnant woman, it's not just she's carrying a baby. She is a different woman than the person you started the relationship with. So how can, and we can talk a bit about pleasure here and sex during pregnancy. How can this also work for the relationship? Because if she's different, she's going to be a different, she's going to show up in a different way towards her partner. So what are some things Mm. to keep in mind in terms of maintaining a good relationship during pregnancy, sexual relationship or otherwise? 
Yeah, beautiful question. And one I think we sometimes don't say out loud, but that the truth is, yeah, if you are with a partner, your partner is not experiencing the pregnancy in the same way you are. And the only way for them to know what you're feeling, what you need from them, what you're afraid about, what you're feeling tension over, what you're excited about is for you to communicate that. Mm -hmm. So as in all things, relationships, communication is just key here. Our partners can't read our minds. And if you're with a male partner, they don't have a uterus. So conversations have to be just ongoing and on top of each other and a listening and a communicating. And if this has been like a difficult area in your relationship, pregnancy is the perfect time to start because you're in this whole new thing together. Mm -hmm. Right. And so you're like, Hey, like we have never, I've never done this. I don't know what's going on. Let's, you know, this is what I'm feeling. What do you think about that? It gives them a doorway into what you're feeling and thinking and the emotions that are going on in your head and theirs. They have a lot of emotion too. They can. (laughs) Yeah. It seems like some kind of a cruel joke that during pregnancy can also be one of the times when the woman is the most aroused and also feeling Mm. the least confident about her body. Mm. (laughs) That just Mm. seems to be unfair. So why, I just have to, I have to ask because I think in terms of, let's say, why is sex pleasurable in the first place? And I think in part of that, that that's a strengthening evolutionary trait, that that's part of survival, that one of the reasons it feels so good and it's enjoyable is to keep the species going. That's part of it, but that doesn't really fit into the narrative of why during pregnancy are women experiencing even more arousal? What is going on? Okay. So let me give a little caveat there because there are some who feel that way and there are some who feel the opposite. Oh, okay. So So I just totally disclosed what was going through with me. (laughs) But you're normal, but you're normal. And it's great to say that out loud and think about what we said at the beginning, which is increased blood flow. Increased blood flow is like priming your genitals, right? It's like sex after exercise. Why do people have sometimes have really great sex after exercise? Because everything's primed. Like the blood flow's going, your tissues are engorged. You're like, let's go. Same with pregnancy for a lot of people. That increased blood flow and their tissues engorged and that sensitivity, they just love it, right? Also, they respond really well hormonally to the changes that they're experiencing hormonally. On the flip side, for those who are barfing their brains out or feel like, you know, they have heartburn 24 seven or they're constipated one second, the next, these people, all of those things throw them to the other side. Like when you don't feel good, you don't in general want to have sex. So it can go either way. Is there something that people should know about having sex during pregnancy? In general, sex during pregnancy is completely fine and normal. That's the first thing. Unless something's going on where there's a risk factor and usually your physician is going to be pretty clear about that. So whether there's preterm labor or the placenta is laying low or over the cervix, placenta previa, or sometimes when you're carrying multiples, things like this, previous pregnancy loss, and you're using, you know, you're being more careful because of multiple pregnancy loss, things like this that I'm not saying like things like this, not a big deal. They're a big deal. And so then we take more care without putting things into the vagina. Right. Mm -hmm. But in general, it's totally fine. Mm -hmm. The crazy thing is, let me tell you one thing for the guys that are listening, because Mm -hmm. when I taught sex education and within childbirth education for so many years, one of the biggest questions I got is I would have men come up during the break every single week, Cindy, 
do you think the baby can feel my penis if we have sex or Cindy, I'm, do you think I could hurt the baby if I, if, if we have intercourse, because you know, that, that my penis, I'm like, your penis isn't touching the baby. That's a really good question. I'm super glad you're thinking about the baby, but there's no issue there. The baby doesn't see your penis. The baby doesn't feel your penis. Trust me. Let's look at the picture again. You can see how this looks. You see how it doesn't. Oh, okay. It's really reassuring. And I'm not kidding. You might laugh and giggle, but they have concerns too, right? Well, I would imagine that their concerns, well, I guess for the partner, I don't want to only say the men, but for the partner is that there's also maybe these ideas of how they're going to be in the world differently as a parent, once a child comes, um, maybe some financial pressures, those kinds of things. So even if that's why I'm saying in a relationship, when the woman is changing, and I don't want to make it sound like the woman is a different per- I mean, she is a different person, but what I want to say is that she's, her personality isn't subtracted. It's enhanced hmm. so that I don't make it sound negative because I don't think that it is. She is the still, still the same person, but with these additions. Hmm. And I think that there are good and exciting additions about mentally preparing for being different in the world, but you're not in the same relationship with the person that you started the relationship with. And the other person is going to be changing. Cause like you said, they have these concerns about sex too, and what's going on. And then how are they going to be? Is there anything that mm. you've found to be a common concern or something that is not talked about? That's actually very common when it comes to pregnancy where people pregnancy itself or, or yeah, or couple. maybe like one of the symptoms or, or yeah, or it can be a couple. I'm just just curious what comes up for you. I guess what's when you were talking, one of the biggest things that comes up, not so much physically is just this idea that you're talking about that the relationship changes because we change how we are in the world. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the biggest thing that comes up in therapies that comes up when I talk to couples is just that turning in and turning towards a baby. Sometimes women turning really in to support their own selves during pregnancy and mothering. And then a lot of times a partner can feel, well, they describe it as, am I going to be like left out or I'm not as important or so many partners are used to being the focus of your attention. Mm-hmm. And when a baby comes into play, your attention naturally and should focus, you know, change focus because you have a, another human completely dependent upon you. This dynamic is very, very common and not talked about very often, right? And it it can lead to a lot of issues in relationships because people don't understand the normalcy of this shift and season, right, of of life. You know, you're reminding me of an I Love Lucy episode that tackled this, I think, in a really sweet way. And it was, Lucy is just very, very pregnant and Ricky keeps getting things for the baby and she starts to be sad saying, he doesn't (laughs) think about me, doesn't care about me. And then when he finds this out, he tries to correct it. And so he got something for her. And then she says, you don't care about the baby. And it was a really beautiful thing because it was, it was good communication, right? She's expressing this. He's trying to be as loving as possible. And she's also got this kind of the emotions that are all over the place. And it was a really sweet way to, you know, go ahead and poke fun at the relationship dynamic Uh altering as a result of having another person in there. Yes. And I think that same vein is this idea that somehow we're supposed to just know how to parent. Like if the baby comes, then we know how to parent. Well, we don't, we're going to learn how to parent. 
you know, we're going to figure that out as we go and what kind of parent we are. And I think that is something that I am constantly saying to couples is you're, you're going to learn how to parent. I mean, this is something you're going to grow and figure out what works for you and your family. The baby doesn't come with the manual, you know, the 500 page manual that's going to give you all the, you know, the what to's and what haves and to do list that's going to work exactly right for you and your family. On that note, I think there's another issue that would be interesting that's also just not totally intuitive. You have to have a nurse teach you how to do that. And that Mm. is nursing. Now, since my daughter was born a month early, I hadn't produced milk. And so then I'm given this pumping Mm. device. I don't know how it Mm. works. I don't know how anything works. And then the nurse is coming in and constantly squeezing me and prodding me Mm. trying to show me how to do it. And it's so funny because people think that that's just a natural thing or that that's something that every woman can do. Some women can and don't Mm -hmm. want to do that. Mm -hmm. And there seems to be all of this shame and confusion Mm -hmm. about the reality of nursing. So could you speak something to that? I'd love to. I think that you're right. I think that there's this kind of narrative around breastfeeding that you just put the baby on your boob and that's all there is to it. Well, I wish I could say that's so. And for some people it is, but it's a pretty small minority of people that that happens to. For most of us, we need some coaching. We need some figuring out of how do we hold the baby? Where do we put the baby? How do we get the baby on our whole areola, the whole area we want them sucking on, not just on the end. I mean, I'm getting specific, but listen, it takes a while to establish a nursing relationship because you have two people. It's not just you and your boob, right? Mm -hmm. It's you, your breasts and the baby. It can be a little bit complicated depending on what's going on with the baby and with you, right? right? I tell all honestly, I tell every single same thing, pelvic floor, physical therapy, number one, after number two, if you can get a lactation consultant to come to your room, if you deliver in a hospital or to your home, if you deliver in an outside setting, hundred percent, most hospitals have a rotating rounds, a lactation consultant. They're a specialist in breastfeeding. These are people who want to help and troubleshoot and they spot things so quickly. I love them. To every person that goes in to have a baby in a hospital, I say, ask for the lactation consultant the next day to come in, put yourself on the schedule. What if everything is going great? I don't care if it's going great. Have them come in <laughs> anyway, mm-hmm. because often even just one or two tweaks can yeah. make a big difference in either how you're feeling comfortably or how the baby's doing. On the flip side, so many women, you know, like you said, either something comes up or physically they can't, or the baby's not, or their circumstances, and you have permission not to breastfeed. I mean, there is such a, uh, sometimes such a negative outburst on, on women who make that choice. You know, you have to make the choice that works for you and your baby and your family. Yeah. I think I had felt that guilt. And especially since when my daughter was born and she was underweight, she was just under five pounds and they had to, because I wasn't producing because it was also early. So we're trying Mm. to stimulate stimulate me Mm. to produce, but she had to have formula. And then by the time I was able to produce, it ended up being about half and half, half me, half the formula. And then at around the 10 month mark, I stopped, I made the decision to stop. And I felt this guilt about it. Like, why can't you just make it to the year, you know, breastfeed Mm -hmm. for a year. Mm -hmm. And 
I saw a post on Instagram, I think, and it was a woman who had made the decision to stop at around month 10. And she said the cost of what it was doing to her well-being mm-hmm. and, you know, the time and the frustration and all of that, that it was actually better for her to take care of herself so that she could be a better parent for a child, that it was a good decision. Mm-hmm. It made sense. It was her being a good parent, that it doesn't mean that you're not a good parent. Now, women who can go 12 months, I know that there's women who were breastfeeding for 12 months. And when that 12 month mark came up, they were sad to end it. Mm-hmm. They and felt some a, go past that. Sure. Yeah. Because they, well, yeah, they go past it because they had that in mind. And then 12 months goes by and they don't want to stop. Mm -hmm. This is a connection that they feel. And I just wish that there was no pressure on women that there was one way to do it. Because like you said, all of our bodies are different. Our lives are different. Our emotional states are different. Our needs are different. That that is not the determining factor of whether or not you're a good mom. How long would you say say do women, is is there an average of, let's say how many women can breastfeed? Because that I think surprises people is that there is a pretty good chunk of women women who cannot, Hmm. um, they're not producing it or their baby's allergic to their milk. How many Hmm. women cannot produce it or who can produce it? And then how long do people go? Is there an average? Hmm. I actually don't know the average of that. I would say just based on, I would say the majority of women can breastfeed, but there's a good amount who either, like you're saying, just the circumstances, health reasons, choice, their jobs, their partners, other care they're giving to other people, whether in their home or, I mean, there are so many, you know, whether they're babies, uh, if they have multiples, whether they have a premature baby, mm-hmm. whether they had a significant traumatic birth and themselves are having to really recover, you know, all of these things. I don't know the exact percentages, but I think the bigger question is why are we putting women in one box to describe good? I mean, that is the bigger question to me. And I would say on there is, if we let go to of the average, then that the average amount of time, then we give permission for women to decide what's best for them, whether that's six weeks, whether that's three months, whether that's four months, five months, 10, two years, three years, there doesn't need to be a box to that. I agree. And you know, one of the reasons why I don't think that this is just a discussion for women, but mm. this is also a discussion for men or for employers, because I think the old adage was that you don't want to hire women because they'll have kids and then they're no longer there. Mm. When actually statistically men die sooner and they do more <laughs> freakish things like jump off of cliffs or jump Mm. out of planes, you know, men do crazy shit and they die and women live longer. (laughs) And just because they're having a baby does not mean that they're out of the workforce. Mm. And so if employers um, would look at this as an opportunity to retain their strong female presence Mm. by having lactation rooms and things like that, because I think what we've been learning as a result of moms and now definitely because of the pandemic is that a nine to five schedule is not necessary for being productive because women figure out how to do things at all hours, juggling several different things. And if you want to retain the best, then you make that kind of accommodation because you're going to lose out on some fantastic women for your employment. If you just um, relegate what, you know, what constitutes productive is between a certain amount of hours. And don't you think the pandemic, like you said, well, what I hope is that that will help shift the mentality of what that has to look like for the workforce, for women. I hope so. I think... 
I really think so. I mean, I, you know, just at my daughter's a pandemic baby. So I've only known being a mom and mm. teaching over Zoom mm. for the last two years. And it is strange when I go back on campus, it's the first time I've had to leave her. And I think, man, I can't imagine if I had needed to go back to work after six weeks, because it's two years and still feels mm. like I want to be with my daughter. And if I can teach effectively, grade, I can still do podcasting and all that and still be close to her, then I want to do that. And so I'm hoping that, yeah, that there's this recognition of what we can do. And I think men are learning that too, because men are working remotely. And so they're able to figure out how to work from home and they're probably learning more about their domestic space than they <laughs> wanted to. Maybe there's more of an appreciation for women as a result of that. I hope so. I hope that it helps change this exact narrative to allow just more fluidity in how we parent, work, and share responsibilities. For sure. Let's wrap up by talking about Permission for Pleasure, your podcast. Um, have you covered pregnancy in your podcast? I did a, gosh, I did a great episode about post-pregnancy and okay. this idea of getting your body back um, ah. with the founder of Mutu. You know, some things are happening outside of the United States that really, I hope, will come our way. Just this idea around the narratives for women after babies. I'm just, I'm, la I'm laughing because I did a podcast with mamas in training. I, what I see and talked about pregnancy and postpartum, because what I see is a lot of younger women really coming into this space of wanting to learn and get educated before they have babies and, and spreading the information. There's a lot going on that's really exciting. But over on Permission for Pleasure, we don't have a specific pregnancy one. I do have the postpartum one. However, what we're talking about is opening the conversation around all things sexual health, mm -hmm. women and how we feel about our bodies, women and how desire really works, uh, women and how to communicate with partners, women giving themselves permission for pleasure and what their bodies and how are and how they're made to do that. I would love to have people come and join the conversation. It's the passion of my my life to help women just experience and enjoy their sexuality in a, in a beautiful way. I love that. I think it's so great even that we're talking about in terms of health, because the way that sex is taught is mm. in such a negative way. Don't get pregnant, don't get the disease. And then here's a fertilized egg. Yes. So we're not talking about the health benefits, but we can't even talk about the health benefits unless we understand how it all works and the permission for pleasure. I love because I mean, our bodies are made for it, mm -hmm. but culturally it's culturally is the only thing that is keeping women back. I think from really being able to understand that sex is for them and it's a mm. pleasurable experience for them. Yes. And we talk a lot about those sexual scripts is what we right. call them on the podcast of what have you heard and in, you know, just ingested from your growing up, your community, your your education or not lack of education that has just sits in you. Can you untangle some of that to have a more healthy sexual you? I love it. Okay. Cindy, thank you so much. Yes. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me on again. It's a good conversation. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Good is in the Details is produced by Dr. Gwendolyn Dalski and Rudy Salo. If you have any questions about this episode or any other episodes, or if you would like to sponsor a show, you can get in touch. Good is in the details pod at gmail.com or our Instagram, good is in the details pod. I'm also on TikTok now at 
Prof Dolsky. And if you'd like to support the show and get extra content, join our book club. Check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash good is in the details. And I will link that in the show notes. And I want to give a shout out to Valoria Wear, valoriawear.com. You can get very cool sunglasses, very cool jewelry. I got the Nuba sunglasses in the rose color and the Elapida ring. Go to valoriawear.com and use offer code Gwendolyn at checkout for 50% off your first order. And I will link that in the show notes. Okay, until next time. Bye.